You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. My name is Andrew, and I just have the pleasure to be with you for the next few minutes and talk a little bit about Easter. And I'm just excited that you're here. Thanks for being here today. I don't think you're here by accident. I mean, I know you made plans to be here, you came with family, but I really believe that in God's sovereign plan, he knew that you would be here this morning, and he actually has an appointment for you and with you, and he wants to encourage you today, let you know that he loves you and he has a plan for your life. Uh, and, And so I don't think that today is just some any other day for our lives. I think it's a day that God has chosen for us to meet with him. Have I told you that you guys are looking good this morning? guys looking good. I mean, something about Easter makes people maybe dress up a little bit nicer. Uh, Some of you, it seems like maybe you've lost a little bit of weight. uh, Or is that a new pair of Spanx that you got? Uh, I I don't know what it is, but but you're looking good this morning. And I just want to say, man, way to go, guys. Way to to go. Except I saw Juan out there. He said he slept in late, which is why he's wearing a t-shirt today. What's up with that, bro? I'm not sure what's going on. Listen, However you came in today, I really believe that God does have an appointment with you. And I know we're here, uh, lots of different kinds of people that are here this morning. I know the junior hires and the high schoolers are stuck in here today. Are you guys in here, junior hires, high schoolers? I know that wasn't them yelling. I, I know there's young adults that are here. Any young adults here? All right, any old people here? All right. Anybody from the south side here? Anybody from the north side here? Okay. <laughs> uh, any single people here? Uh, yeah, single, ready to mingle. Any, any, uh, any married people here? All right, lots of people here. By the way, if you're married, I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin a new series uh, speaking about relationships and marriage relationships in particular. And I just want to encourage you, hey, it'll, you'll learn about your marriage, how to invest in marriage, and, and how to grow. And so come back over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be talking about that. But really, however you are and why ever you're here this morning, uh, by the way, I know some of you are here today because, just because of FOMO, right? Just because everybody's in church, you better be in church. Uh, I know some of you are here today because uh, your mom or your grandma told you, mijo, if you're not in service, ain't going to be no pozole or tacos for you this afternoon. I know that's why some of you are here this morning. I know some of you are here today because it's tradition in your house uh, and you come to church on Easter weekend no matter what without fail. And and the reality is is that uh, even though some of us are here celebrating today that Jesus is alive, there are others that are here that you're just here because it's tradition, but in, in terms of your belief of believing that Jesus resurrected from the dead. You kind of left the church a while back. And I, and I understand that. I understand that this morning there's all kinds of different people that are here this morning. And the reality is, is in our world today, there's a lot of things that we're uncertain about. You may be uncertain about the resurrection of Jesus. We're uncertain about so many things today. It actually feels like the ground that we stand on in terms of the very world that we live in, the truth that we relied on, has somehow changed over the last couple of years, and it's changed right under our feet, right under our noses, and it's like we are not, not even sure how to move forward or what we can trust anymore. And that's why I just want to talk to you for the next few minutes uh, about a, a message that, that I've, I've called, Some Things Are Still True. Uh, because I really do believe that some things are still true, even though some things have changed, and it seems like truth in some ways seems to have changed for us. 
there are some things that, that are still true. If you want to follow along today, all of the verses and all the points are going to be uh, on your device if you, if you want to follow along uh, under the Version app or the Bible app. It's under the More button, and you go to Koinonia under Events. Or if you have the Church Center app, there's a little commercial for you. If you have the Church Center app, you could go to More and go to Outlines, and all the verses and all the notes will be there this morning. Speaking of things that have changed, let me just give you some facts, some truths that I think we used to believe, or maybe we still believe even now, and I'm just going to correct you right now if you still believe these things. These things have changed. It used to be that we believed that, at least our mom told us, if we swam right after we ate, we would get cramps. It's a lie, guys. It's a lie. That ain't true. It ain't true anymore. It never was true, I think, the truth is. Uh, how about this one? You ever heard that when you swallow, if you swallow your gum, it takes seven years to digest? <laughs> seven years to digest. No, guys, it doesn't take seven years to digest. Bats, by the way, are not blind. Even though we think they're blind, I think they're very nearsighted. They're not actually blind. Seems like a small thing. But, you know, you need to believe the truth, and that's one of the things that has changed. By the way, Napoleon, remember the short guy? He was actually not very short. Uh, the truth is he's, he was, I think, five foot seven, which was actually taller than the average Frenchman of that day. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus himself was not born on December 25th, and he was not born in the year zero B.C. The reality was is that he was born probably in March, in spring of the year, and uh, he was probably born about four or five B.C., which is always a little confusing because how are you born before you're born? I don't know, it just it doesn't, somebody messed the counter up just a little bit. But all joking aside, the reality is, is that it seems like some of the things that we used to believe were true in this world, some of the things that we depended on, just have shifted. Some of the relationships that we thought would be with us today, we, we, we find them to be broken and in tatters and, and we're hurting. Some, some of the things, the truths that, that we relied on, uh, they just don't seem like we can stand on them anymore. And, and it's, there, there's so many things we're uncertain about when it comes to the future. We're uncertain about our security and we look at wars that are going on right now and, and all the insecurity that's in the world. We look uh, at the uncertainty of the economy. Everybody's talking about the economy right now and we wonder if we're going to have our job next year or even next week sometimes. And if it's not those things, then we're hearing about earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes and sun flares and sunspots and the end of the world and all these things. And it just really makes us, in a lot of ways, very, very uncertain and insecure. And sometimes it's just like you need somewhere to stand. The fact is there's a whole generation of people right now that are really consumed with anxiety and fear, dealing with mental health issues. This is, this is where we live right now in our world and in our culture. And we really need somewhere solid to stand. We, we really need to know that, that there's some things that, that aren't going to change. There, are, there is a place where we can stand and we can be secure, that we don't have to be riddled with fear and anxiety and the worries about the future. We can, in fact, trust some things. And so I'm just going to ask you for the next few minutes to do something that I think is very rare today in our distracted world. I'm going to ask you just to really sort of tune in with all of your ears, with all of your attention, 
uh, to listen, if you would, just lend me your ears, lend me your mind, lend me your heart for the next few moments, and really try to catch what I'm saying, catch the heart of it more than even the words that I'm saying. You might, might need to sort of silence your phone or turn it off if it's a distraction for you. I mean, you can use it for your outline, but if you're using it for you know, your games, maybe it's not the best thing to do this morning. But just do everything that you can. Will you do that just to hear me for the next few minutes? Because I believe that there's something that I'm going to say in the next few minutes that could be really... Uh, that can really be powerful for you. If you're a Jesus follower today, what I'm gonna say over the next few minutes is going to encourage your faith, and it's gonna give you some tools to be able to encourage others in their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus today, and you're uncertain, and you're unsure about Jesus to begin with, this is going to be really good for you, because I'm gonna talk, I don't wanna break it to you or surprise you with it, but it is Koinonia Church. I'm gonna talk to you for the next few minutes about Jesus. Is that okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna talk to you for the next few minutes and try to convince you that Jesus was a real person who walked on the earth. The reality is, is that just about everyone agrees, all historians agrees, you can look it up on Wikipedia, everybody agrees Jesus was a real person. He walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. He was baptized in the River Jordan and he was crucified on a cross under Pontius Pilate. So that one has already sailed. We already sort of know that. I'm also not just gonna try to convince you this morning that Jesus was a great moral teacher and that his, his teachings are something that we should follow because they'll make us better. I mean, I do think that Jesus was a great moral teacher. He he was actually better than Master Yoda, you know, everything that he said. But, but the truth is, is I'm not trying to convince you that his teachings were great teachings. What I want to talk to you about this morning is that there was something very significant, actually the most significant event for Christians and the most significant event for the world that happened on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, and that is the resurrection. That is the reality that Jesus, who was in the tomb, came back to life after three days, after being nailed to the cross and taken down and put in that tomb, that he actually came back to life. And that resurrection moment might sound to you this morning like nonsense. It might actually be something that's difficult for you to believe. But if it is today, I want to say you're in good company. Because 2,000 years ago, it sounded like nonsense to his disciples and his followers. On Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, there was actually no Christians because there was no Christ. Because Jesus had died, and as far as the disciples were concerned, everything that he said was over. The reality is, is that there was no one standing at the tomb on Sunday morning doing the countdown. Three, two. Nobody was there because nobody believed, because they were very real, very practical, very earthy people. His disciples and all that generation knew that when you died, when you were nailed to the cross, when you breathed your last, and when you were put in the tomb, you were dead, and the dead do not come back to life. And so nobody was anticipating a great day on Sunday morning. All of the disciples actually had run and had hid. They were in fear from the religious authorities, and they were heartbroken because their hope in Jesus was lost. This person that they had followed, now no longer were they able to follow, and they wondered about everything that, they had, that he had said. There was nobody preaching the good news on Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. But then something, something changed, and, and the reality is, is, is that historians today 
uh, are a little bit confused about it. They're, they're puzzled at why we are actually here on Sunday morning 2,000 years ago celebrating Jesus because it doesn't follow the pattern of the way that social and religious and political movements are supposed to do. At least historically, when historians look at all of history, the way things work is that when you have a revolutionary figure, it's very charismatic individual, for example, Martin Luther King Jr. or the prophet Muhammad, who, and who is very charismatic, and is very appealing, and they bring a teaching, maybe it's a social kind of teaching of social change or a religious kind of teaching, it's actually very, very rebellious. It's very revolutionary in the style of teaching and the kind of teaching that when that happens, a charismatic leader and a revolutionary type of teaching, that even when that person dies, the followers pick up the message of that charismatic individual and they carry it on into the future. But this is not what happened with Jesus. Jesus doesn't fit the pattern. He breaks the rules, and, and I've got two reasons why he breaks the rules. The first thing is that his message didn't call for revolution. His message actually didn't call for social liberation. This actually confuses a lot of people today. It certainly confused the disciples. Then the truth is, is that Jesus' message in many ways was not revolutionary. In many ways, it was simply an extension of what had been taught by the Jewish prophets and teachers for the last 1,500 years before that. Jesus actually affirmed the, Jew, uh, the Jewish law. He didn't seek to rebel against it, and every time his his disciples, every time his followers tried to push Jesus into a corner of a social or religious or political revolutionary, he rebuked them. They kept saying to him, Jesus, is this when you're going to come into your kingdom? Is this when you're finally going to overthrow the, relig the, the Roman uh, rulers and finally come into your, your place of authority and all the nations would come to you? And they would look at him and wait for him and he would just rebuke them. And he say, this is actually not what it's all about. And so his message, in so many ways, doesn't fit the pattern. And secondly, his message was not just about good teaching. His message was actually about himself. And this really messes historians up. And it really messed a lot of people up in that day. Jesus said, have you noticed some pretty crazy things? He didn't just say, so this is three, three ways to live and it's going to make your life better. Let me just give you some of the things that he said. He, he didn't tell his followers just to trust in his teachings. He told them to trust in him, in his person, in himself. This is what he said. He said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, not the one who believes in my teachings, not the one who follows the three steps to having a better life. No, the one who believes in me. He says there's something different about me. You actually need to believe in me. He said this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, which blew the minds of the Jewish people because what he was saying was that when you look 
at me, when you listen to me, when you watch what I do, you're actually seeing me perfectly reflect my Father in heaven. By identifying with his Father in heaven so closely, he was saying, listen, I am a God-man. I am not only human, I am divine. And when you see me, you get a picture of the Father, and no one could say that if you're a Jewish person. They all knew that was blasphemy, that was against the rules, that's way too far for people to be able to believe. He would say things like, hey listen, if you come to me and you drink the water that I offer, you will never thirst again. But he didn't stop there. In one of his most shocking sermons, I think of all, in John chapter six, he says this, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, that's a little intense. I mean, the, the crowd, who at this point is a very large crowd the day that he preaches this message and says these words, because if you go around healing people, uh, it's easy to draw a crowd. There's a lot of people that come to see. And so there's many, many thousands of people that are fascinated by Jesus. They love it when he heals people. He, they love it when he makes the blind person see and he makes the lame person walk. He makes the leper clean. I mean, everybody loves that. It doesn't matter what you believe, you're going to come and follow that kind of guy. And then he turns around and says something like this, Unless you eat my flesh and drink of my blood, then you're not really going to get what I have to offer. And it says that the crowd began sort of to melt away because it was too much for them to believe. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What he said was so, so revolutionary, so over the top. Jesus watches the crowd melt into the background and he turns to his disciples and he, he says to them, you gonna leave me as well? And Simon Peter, who was the guy who normally had his foot in his mouth, he actually said something pretty smart at this point. He said, Lord, where are we gonna go? You alone have the words of life. And then he says this, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to believe and to know that you, Jesus, are more than just a man with good teachings, more than just a person who is giving the bread of life. You are, in fact, the bread of life. You are, in fact, the Messiah. You are God in the flesh that has come to open the door to heaven for us. And they began to believe what Jesus said, and they began to believe that he was more than what they could have imagined, that he was the one who had come to save the people from their sins, and then they watched him die on the cross. They watched the Romans pound the nails in his hands and in his feet. They watched him give up his spirit. They watched the spear go into his side and the blood and the water gush out. They watched him be taken down and put in the tomb and, and they were completely, completely heartbroken, completely confused. You can't kill. You can't kill the Son of God. You don't kill the Messiah. You don't kill the Holy One of God. You don't kill the bread of life. It's impossible to kill God. And yet, 
He was dead. He was in the tomb. And on Sunday morning, they were completely, completely heartbroken. And yet here we are on this Sunday morning 2,000 years later. What's more than that? 300 years after that moment, 300 years after that Sunday morning, the entire Roman Empire was turned on its head. Not only did the emperor confess himself to be a Christian, but then he mandated that everyone would become one as well. What in the world? And the historians just kind of say, wait a second, this isn't supposed to be. It doesn't work this way. Let me pick up the narrative for you. In John chapter 20, the only answer to the quandary, of course, is the resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Notice she wasn't assuming he was alive. She was assuming someone had stolen his body. But the story, I read you this earlier, sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Those same disciples who were heartbroken and hopeless, they began to believe. Something began to change as they saw Jesus. First Mary saw him in the garden, and then Peter saw him as well, and then he appeared to the disciples all in a group, but Thomas wasn't there. And you remember doubting Thomas, the one who said, I won't believe unless I actually am able to touch his hands and his feet and put my fingers in his side. And he said that because Thomas wasn't one to be easily taken. He said, I don't want to be convinced about a ghost or some kind of phantasm. And Jesus that appeared was not just some kind of a wispy uh, ghost. He was actually flesh and blood. And he said, go ahead, Tom, stick your fingers in the nail prints. Stick your fingers in my side. Jesus, the next morning, ate fish on the beach with them. He was a flesh and blood Jesus, a real Jesus that had come to life. And Paul recounts that over the next 40 days, he appeared to many of them on the road and here and there, and then to a group of 500 all at once. And one after the other, they saw Jesus and they began to believe. And it wasn't just a, a, a kind of belief. It was a belief that changed everything. It was something that electrified them. They didn't just uh, begin to be different because of something that he taught, but they were transformed because of someone that they saw. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. And forever it changed them. And they began to share the message not just of what Jesus taught, but that Jesus 
who was crucified is now alive. That our Lord who went to the cross and died is now risen today. They began to give their lives for him. They were willing to share the message no matter what. Some of you remember, oh, was it been about 30 years ago, David Koresh convinced some 75 people that he was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. He took them uh, to Waco, Texas, to a compound, and over the next weeks as we watched it unfold on TV in a tragic series of events, the compound caught on fire and all the 75 of them died, including David Koresh. No one believes in David Koresh today. No one is giving their life for the teachings of David Koresh because you don't give your life for someone that's dead. But the, the disciples... They were willing to give everything. Didn't matter what others said, did, threatened. They were willing to shout from the rooftops of Jerusalem and then eventually to the four corners of the world that our Jesus is alive. This is how Michael Lacona puts it in his book. He, he said this, after Jesus' death, the disciples endured persecution and a number of them experienced martyrdom. The strength of their conviction indicates that they were not just claiming Jesus had appeared to them after rising from the dead. They really believed it. They willingly endangered themselves by publicly proclaiming the risen Christ. They declared, Jesus is risen. And his resurrection demonstrates that what he did on the cross was more than just a human being going to the cross, but it was actually a death that once and for all paid the penalty for all of our sin. As he stood in our place and bore the shame and received what we deserved on that cross on that day, it was a death that swallowed up our shame and declared victory over death. They were willing to share that message over and over and over again, no matter what opposition. And folks, I want to tell you, as many things have changed in our world, as it seems that many truths have shifted underneath our feet, there are some things that haven't changed. There are some things that are still true. Jesus Christ is risen today. God the Father is on the throne and at his right hand sits Jesus on a throne of grace with his arms wide open inviting the entire world to receive what he offers to them, a door to the Father, a door to restoration, a door to a new beginning, to a fresh start for forgiveness for sins, for a new way of living, a door that can change everything for us. Jesus offers it today as he offered it to the disciples over and over again, and he is willing to offer it to us. Peter preached the message right on the day of Pentecost out there on the rooftop in Jerusalem, and he said this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon 
us. Listen, if you're a believer today, the reality of the resurrection should encourage you and empower you. The knowledge that he today is alive, that it's not just a fairy tale, that it's not just something that someone told you, but it's something that's solid to believe in, that actually today when we believe in Jesus Christ and we follow him, we give him our heart and our mind and we live our life for him, he gives us his Holy Spirit that comes inside of us and changes everything. It takes us from the kingdom of darkness and moves us into the kingdom of light. It gives us a power, and as Paul said it, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And so today, every prayer that you offer, every time you cry out to God, you know you have God on your side. Jesus is looking out for you. He's working on your behalf. He's moving things together for your benefit. He's working things out because he has your best at heart, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. If you're a believer today, there's a reason to shout this morning, praise God, that you are on the throne, Jesus, that you made a way when there was no way. Thank God there is an open heaven today, and if you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you don't have a relationship with him, then there's no better day than today to take care of business. Because that same invitation that he offers to the disciples is the same invitation that he offers to each of you. The, the invitation that Peter declared to the crowd that you, in fact, can know Jesus Christ is yours as well. And I love how the crowd was, responded 2,000 years ago to Peter's message about Jesus' death and resurrection. They said to him, what are we to do? What are we to do? about the good news. And this is what Peter said. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If today you don't know Jesus, is a very, very simple, but a, a step that will change your life forever. He said, repent and turn to God. Repent means the recognition that the way that I was going is wrong. It means that I've got a sin problem, a selfishness problem, a me first problem. It means that I've liked to do things my own way, the way that I've chosen to do them. I've looked out, I've looked out for me first. That it means a recognition that even though I've tried to be good, I couldn't ever be good enough to get into heaven because the only way I could ever be good enough was through someone who was perfect, through the blood of Jesus Christ that paid the price for my sin. To repent is to recognize I need someone to save me from my situation. God, would you help me? Would you save me? Would you change things inside of me? Repent means to recognize it and to turn around and to turn to God and to go in the other direction. God, it's your way and it's not my way any longer. I'm following you. I'm choosing you. And when we do that, then he promises to do everything else. He promises then to send his Holy Spirit inside of us to change us. He promises to move us from one place to another. He promises actually to make us a new creature from the inside out with a new beginning, a creature who will be with him forever in eternity. And I tell you what, today's a good day to receive that offer. I mean, the reality is, is you might have been in church a lot of times. You might have grown up in church. You might know a lot about Jesus. But if you have never experienced his salvation, never truly turned and repented from your sin and invited him in, today is a great day to do that. And God would love nothing more than for you to spend eternity 
in heaven with him. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads right now. I just want to take that opportunity. I know in the house today there's lots of people here for lots of different kinds of reasons. But you're here on purpose. You're not here by accident. And I don't know all the details of your life, and I don't know about your relationship with God. I don't know the beef that you have with him or the reasons that you have stayed away from him or how you maybe have thought that you could never be good enough or you've done too many things or you've gone too many places and you could never be acceptable to him. But today I want to tell you, Jesus can make a way. Jesus has opened the door and his invitation is for you. And and if you know that today is that day of salvation for you, if you know you need Jesus Christ, you need his salvation, and you're ready to repent, to acknowledge that the way I've been is not the way I need to be, and God, would you save me? I just want to pray with you. If you just raise your hand, raise it real high so I can see in the Lord, can see it. We're going to pray a prayer together in just a moment. Yeah, I see those hands. Anybody else? Today you're saying, Lord, I need you. Today I'm saying, God, I, I, I can't do this by myself. I, I, I need a new start. I, knew, I need a new beginning. I need you to change something inside of me. I need a power that's not my own. I can't do it by myself. Raise those hands up high because the Lord sees them today. Let's just all pray this together. Yeah, hands everywhere. Lord Jesus, pray this together. Lord Jesus, I'm reaching out to you today. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. Would you save me? Would you wash me of my sin? Would you give me a fresh start? Would you give me your spirit? I believe in you. Mm. Lord, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer this morning. I thank you for every hand that was raised. I thank you, Lord, that you're doing more than just hearing us repeat words today, that just what happened just now is something that actually shakes in the heavenlies. It's a, it's a spiritual reality that has happened, Lord, where there's been a transformation of people from one kingdom to another kingdom, that you're actually sending your spirit right now into people's hearts and their minds and their lives. And I'm asking God for those that raise their hand and prayed that prayer, that it would be more than just a nice moment, that it would be a God moment of encounter, that they'll right now in this hour and this moment feel your embrace and feel the transformation that's going on inside of them, that your spirit would come into them, Lord Jesus, and let them know that they are yours and that you have forgiven them and that you're making a way for them. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for that. Would you just look up at me just for a moment, everybody that raised your hands, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. I just want to make sure that you grow in your faith. Every new baby needs to be protected. It needs to grow. You're a new baby in Christ right now. God loves you. He wants you to grow. We want to help you grow on your way out today. Just as those who are visiting this morning, we have a gift for you. We have a a particular gift of of a new believer's Bible and an invitation for you to a group that will help you grow. Just stop by on your way out at the start table right outside the doors today and just let them know and they'll give you that gift. All right. We don't want to miss what God has for you in your life. Would you stand to your feet, everyone? I want to pray a blessing over you. Christ is risen. Okay, we're a little slow this morning. We're at the end of the service. We're shaking ourselves. Let me try again. Christ is risen. Okay, now go. The way it works here, guys, is you say he is risen indeed, okay? Christ is risen. 
I knew you could do it. Lord Jesus, I just pray a blessing over every single person that's here in the house, every single person that's watching online right now. We pray for every child in every classroom on this campus. God, I'm asking for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy to follow them all the days of their life. I'm praying that these people would be set apart, that they would be set apart for your purposes, that they would be protected and blessed, Lord, for every sickness in their body. I pray for healing. I pray for new life. I pray for an empowering spirit to be on them. I pray in their homes there would be the presence of Jesus. The very presence of Jesus would follow them all the days of their life. Lord, I'm praying that you would make them the head and not the tail. I'm praying for promotions at work. I'm praying for blessings and finances. I'm praying for overcoming every anxiety and every fear, that there be something different about them. Bless them, I pray, as they go about today, as they celebrate this weekend. Let them know that you are good and you have goodness in store for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.